Fire. This is Mark McCloskey on Fire on News Talk STL. This is uh, Mark McCloskey, Mark McCloskey on Fire. Welcome this afternoon, 101.9, 94.1, and on, on Facebook, Twitter, Rumble, every place you get your podcast. You know, these days in this country where everything is going along so smoothly, the economy's strong, the borders are secure, our military is, is standing stronger. Wait a second, all that stuff's wrong. Um, when everything's going to hell in the country, the uh, place that leads our way to hell is typically considered to be the uh, state of California, where, of course, due to uh, woke agendas and uh, fiscal policy, the, uh, the big cities of California have fallen into being a morass of immorality, poverty, and uh, mismanagement, while the government, of course, denies that there's anything wrong and, and constantly lectures us on how if we and the state of Florida, for example, would become more like California, we'd all be doing so much better ethically morally and economically. Well, we've got a gentleman here today by the name of Chris Street. He's the former treasurer of Orange County, California. He's a leader of the uh, New California State or New California. And uh, Chris, welcome to the show. Great to be here, Mark. So tell us a little bit about yourself. I think most of the people that uh, are listening to this program or watching us are unfamiliar with you. Give me the uh, the one-minute Chris Street rundown. Well, Chris Street was always a curious fellow, and I grew up in Northern California, and I managed to to be a, a top athlete, top swimmer and water polo player, just a couple off the Olympic team. Um, so, of course, I went to college, and it, it was a shock of my life that, that people weren't trying to win. Um, that was my first introduction to g- good education, um, and through that process, I did uh, uh, finished college. I got a bunch of grants and did a bunch of research and went on to uh, become one of the largest position traders, uh, in the Western United States, big bond trader. And in 1993, I discovered that Orange County was playing a game uh, of speculation, which led to me writing articles for Barron's and others that caused the largest bankruptcy, a municipal bankruptcy in the history of the United States. So I've had an interesting sort of career. I do a lot of international consulting now, um, especially with the Chinese who um, like the fact that I'm tell- that I've been telling them they are going to have the mother of all banking crisis. So I have kind of an interesting life, Mark. Yeah, it kind of sounds like it. Um, but uh, tell us a little bit about the economic current economic status of California and how California's economics are a forebearer of what's going to happen to the rest of us. Well, Mark, I heard your introduction as a great lawyer. <laughs> I'd like to hear that argued in court. But California is highly unique in that uh, in 1848, the United States had had six financial crises. It had the second worst uh, credit rating in the world. And uh, the Bank of England, with 60 to 80 tons of gold, ran the British Empire. And guess what? In California, in the first full year of production, California sold 80 tons of gold to the U.S. Treasury, and over the next four years, sold another 400 tons. So California went for uh, California, basically, um, you know, uh, stabilized the United States, allowed the Union Army to win a massive uh, civil war, 
uh, and at the same time build uh, railroads to the West. Um, and, and all this sort of California West financing um, caused an astronomical boom in the United States. And by 1993, the United States was 50% of all the manufacturing in the world. And we basically had a socialist crisis uh, led by California and, and the worst depression in the United States. California came out of that. Uh, and uh, through oil, people don't realize that three guys in Beverly Hills with picks and shovels dug down uh, to the largest oil deposit in the world and created the modern oil boom. Um, that went on, you know, and, and uh, during World War One, of course, that was a, a, a war driven by uh, the transition from coal to oil. And, and by the 30s, late 20s and 30s, California was the richest place on the planet. And the Depression hit. It hit hardest in California. And California went through a bankruptcy, literally, uh, came out of that, uh, rallied to be to build 62% of the airplanes and 43% of the ships in World War II, um, and then had another crisis in the 70s, crashed severely, um, came out of it, and you're now ending the current boom, which is the semiconductor boom. And as you notice, Mark, these are 45-year cycles that seem to come rather predictably. So uh, California is now leading the country into an existential financial crisis. Tell, tell us about that. Tell us about how, how it is that California can drive the economy of the entire country, not to mention the world. Well, California still, people don't realize this, but California really has, um, it, it still is the West. It's where things, you know, do people go to do sort of different things? In the, in the last 40 years, California has been a, you know, a, a mecca, literally a magnet for young, well-educated people, a lot of them from, you know, the Midwest, uh, a lot of them from uh, Asia that moved uh, to along the coast for that um, uh, urban coastal experience uh, and caused and, and were the brains and the operations for the tech booms that we've been going through. Um, that, that process um, is now sort of reaching its has reached its pinnacle about a year and a half ago, and uh, the fastest uh, growing layoffs in the country now are in the elite. These are kids making 150 to 200,000 that also make stock options, trade crypto, go public. You've got a you've got two economies in California. You've got you know the, the regular working people who are actually doing better, but what really drives the state and driving the state taxes are these elitist kids, and they're in free fall. And, and why is that? What is it that's causing the, uh, the, uh, the, the youth that used to be driving the tech industry, why are they leaving and why are they, why are they losing employment? Well, the, the costs here are you know, terrible for someone wanting to, you know, if you're in your 20s, you don't really care about the costs. You're going to spend every cent you got. Um, when you start to get in your 30s, you know, you want to buy a house, you want to have a family. That's just removed from the capability of these kids. And more importantly, Mark, remember that um, the big boom in California was at the expense of the heartland of America. All of these jobs are transferred from the heartland to China and, and East Asia. 
um, really because of the technology, the infrastructure, the uh, logistics, all of those tools of technology and, you know, semiconductors and processing made that possible. That has now collapsed because this is a statistic your listeners probably don't know. Of the 400 people that work in tech jobs in China along the coast, 40 million are retiring every year. So China literally is in an implosion of its tech workforce. Um, so all those jobs, I know there's a, a lot of geopolitics people talk about, but the money is now coming back to the United States and looking for a place to land. Traditionally, California was the largest manufacturer in the country, but we're losing that to the Midwest because of those political things and, you know, and cultural things you talked about in your intro. Well, it's really, you know, and, and we're going to segue into this in just a second, but it really, for those of us in the rest of the, of the country, view that there are two Californias. There's the, uh, the Bay Area and there's L.A. run by liberal elitists, run by the left and being driven into the ground. And then there's a bulk of the, of the giant state with, what, 45 million people um, that are regular, ordinary, hardworking people that are, that are distant from and unremoved from the power elite in the two big cities. And I think you're, uh, you've got an organization that's, that's looking at doing something about that, right? Well, that's right. I'm the CEO of the new California state. And, and basically, we want to divide California in half. As you said, you know, the, the urban population and the fringe urban population in California is about 20 million. And the suburban and uh, rural population in California is about 20 million. So the urban population has no desire to spend five cents on infrastructure such as dams, you know, power generation, such like that. They want to spend it on themselves and they dominate the politics in California. At the same time, you know, as, as you're losing this tech sector, as it's really shrinking fast, um, you California would normally get this huge boost, but we don't have the electricity. We don't have the water. We literally mark, um, have the same infrastructure today as we had uh, in 1973. California, with 20 million more people, has not built a dam or a reservoir, anything above ground, since 1973. That shows you how dysfunctional the state is. But you've got a whole lot of uh, free drugs and, and tent cities. I mean, that ought to make up for, <laughs> for dams and infrastructure. Hey, you know, there's something that... that, that go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, Mark, I, I think that's I think that's fair and unfair. In California, you you basically brutalized, you know, the uh, uh, blue blue collar, you know, lower work, lower middle class type people, and upper middle class people fell back to you know to to middle class or lower class. Uh, you know, there was a big takeaway, and a lot of what you see on the street is you know uh, capitulation. Of, of kids who thought they were going to have the same kind of middle-class life as their parents and literally can't make it. And of course, as you know, kids that start on drugs, it, it's easy to start really hard to get oh, on. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a part of the United States Constitution that I talk about all the time, but until I read uh, something about the new California, I hadn't seen anybody else talk about, and that's Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. 
All right. Well, uh, I, I think the, you know, the founders in the United States, remember I told you that they, you know, it was a, it's a country that didn't have a financial base other than maybe cotton and tobacco. Um, they knew, they knew you had to move fast and break things if, if they were going to survive. They had won a war against the most powerful, you know, country in the world, but only because that most powerful country, the British Empire, was at war with everybody else. Um, and so the Constitution is built to encourage booms and busts. I know that doesn't sound very refreshing, but when you're really a, you know, a, a colony becoming a state, you really need the boom. So Article 4, Section 3 uh, allows uh, a state, literally both houses of its legislature and both houses of Congress, to vote uh, on splitting the state you don't need the governor and you don't need the president. It's literally, it's administrative. Now, the last one to actually do that kind of vote was West Virginia in the Civil War. But we've had, what, you know, 47 other states created in the United States? Yeah. And, you know, uh, and then my favorite part of the Constitution, like I say, Article 4, Section 4, where the Constitution guarantees each state a Republican form of government. And uh, that's something that most of the <laughs> most of the states have forgotten about now. Well, that was a radical at the time. Remember, this was in the age of enlightenment, and actually, a, a, America was a little bit afraid of the age of enlightenment because they'd seen what happened um, uh, in uh, in France, which, of course, was you know basically having a socialist utopian uh, uh, rebellion and taking off people's heads. Um, then came Napoleon. So the founders really understood that government will always, you know, some power seekers will get control and, and they will uh, do dirty to the people. So a Republican form of government is made so you're kind of like doing government, swimming in molasses. It's really hard to get things to change. You can't do things really, really fast. It's very inefficient, and of course, that the left doesn't like inefficient. They yeah. like to get to Marxism as fast as you can. Yeah, well, I mean that's exactly right. Our government was set up to be ineffective and inefficient, so that the power mongers could not just take <laughs> over overnight. And you know, it's 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 been pretty effective. We've got about a minute and a half now. I'd, I'd like for you to, to finish up by telling us what the vision is for the future if you're successful with New California. Well, Mark, I believe that every forty-five years there are these cycles. California, to give you a sense of it, um, California just finished their fiscal year. They spent $254 billion and had $166 billion of tax revenue. Right? This is an insane amount of money. Um, and to show you that they're unwilling to change or they're so locked into spending, they, they passed a budget that's going to do $10 billion more of spending this coming year, but they pretend all, you know, the revenues will boom and all that. When this crash happens, and it's happening right now, schools are getting short-checked uh, as, as teachers go back. So we're in the crisis right now. I think we're about two years ahead of the country. But as we go through this, Mark, we're going to uh, essentially create a new state. And the reason we're going to get a state is a new state can do public-private partnerships, kind of like what Southern California Edison and PG&E did back in the 1900s to build the infrastructure uh, that's necessary to light up, you know, the reindustrialization boom, 
which I believe will be the, the greatest economic boom in the history of America. And bring manufacturing back to the United States and back to California. Well, it's going to come back one way or the other. Um, I, I just think that, you know, it, it's going to, it, it would be better if uh, more of it came back. I, I, I consider the United States, Canada, and Mexico too. I know people don't like me to say that, but you know, these are our economic partners in some ways. Um, but I'd rather have it here where the people are, where they could really benefit. Um, and the, the, you know, you need a California to, you know, to, to do things that are disruptive. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's bad. In the booms, it's very good. In the, in the, in the bus, that's eh, a little, it's a little painful. Yeah. yeah. Well, I got to let you go now, but it's, it's uh, great talking to you and I look forward to doing this again. And I look forward to uh, seeing the great success of the new California state. Thank you very much, Chris. Good to hear from you, Mark. Well, that was, uh, Chris Street, the uh, CEO of the new California state. Hopefully we're going to be able to actually see that come to fruition and cut loose places like San Francisco and Los Angeles and let them decay into nothingness, which is what they deserve given the policies that they've imposed upon the poor residents of those cities. When we come back, Mark McCloskey on fire. We're going to be talking about Devin Archer, Hunter Biden, and the most corrupt presidency in the history of the United States. We'll be right back. Get more Mark McCloskey at NewstalkSTL.com. More Mark McCloskey on fire coming up on NewstalkSTL. Mark McCloskey, on fire. This is Mark McCloskey, on fire, on News Talk STL. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Mark McCloskey, on fire. This is News Talk STL 101.9, 94.1, on the web, any place you get your podcast. You know, we had some pretty striking things happen this week. Amongst those things, oh, this little minor thing of... Uh, President Trump being indicted again in pure BS. But we also have the uh, the immaculate Joe Biden coming pretty close to getting his head in the noose these days. Um, if you don't recall, back when uh, Joe Biden was running for president, he had a debate with this guy named Donald Trump. And at some point, Donald Trump uh, accused the Bidens of being corrupt and taking money from, oh, for example, the government of Ukraine or Burisma and making money from the Chinese communists. And uh, as you may recall, Joe Biden said time and time again, and actually on the debate stage with Donald Trump, that his son, Hunter Biden, never made any money from China. My son has not made money in terms of this thing about, uh, what are you talking about, China. I have not had, the only guy made money from China is this guy. He's the only one. Nobody else has made money from China. President Trump, deal, deal let China. me, let me ask way, my question to you. But could I just one, one thing? Very quickly. His son didn't have a job for a long time, was sadly no longer in the military service. I won't get into that. And he didn't have a job. As soon as he became vice president, Burisma, not the best, look, not the best reputation in the world, I hear they paid him 183000 
a month. Listen to this. 183, and they gave him a $3 million upfront payment. All right. And he had no I'm, energy I'm going to let the vice president That's respond to that quickly, and then I need to get to a question to you. Very No quickly, basis for that. Everybody investigated that. No one said anything he did was wrong in Ukraine. Okay. President Trump, this is for you. Since you took office, you've never divested from your business. You've personally promoted your properties abroad. A report this week, which was referenced, does indicate that your company has a bank account in China. So how can voters know that you don't have any foreign conflicts of interest? I have many bank accounts, and they're all listed, and they're all over the place. I mean, I was a businessman doing business. The bank account you're referring to, which is everybody knows about it, it's listed. The bank account was in 2013. That's what it was. It was opened and it was closed in 2015, I believe. And then I decided because I was going to do I was thinking about doing a deal in China, like millions of other people. I was thinking about it and I decided I'm not going to do it. Didn't like it. I decided not to do it. Had an account open and I closed it. Um, And you'll also remember that Joe Biden has said time after time after time when asked directly and even by Peter Ducey here recently, um, whether or not he had any communication with his son, Biden, Hunter Biden, about his foreign business relationships, or if he'd ever spoken to any of Hunter Biden's business relationship, business associates during, uh, in connection with his overseas business affairs. And Joe Biden, every single time, said, I've never spoken to Hunter Biden. I've never spoken to my son about his business affairs. I've never spoken to any of his business associates. How many times have you ever spoken to your son about his overseas business dealings? I've never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings. Excuse me, there is a photo of you uh, golfing with your son Hunter and his business partner, Devin Archer. Do you stand by your statement that you did not discuss any of your son's overseas business? Yes, I stand by that statement. Well, you know, it's kind of hard to believe that these days. And, you know, we're told that... uh, that uh, these days that, that lying to Congress and lying to the American people is a crime. I mean, people go to jail for it if you have an R behind your name. People go to jail for it if you're an ordinary citizen. But apparently if you're Joe Biden or Hunter Biden or Jim Biden or any, anybody else with a Biden as a last name, you can lie, you can cheat, you can take bribes, and you can do anything you darn well please, and you'll get away with it. But, I mean, the proof has now... I, I, I'll digress, as I always digress. You know, um, I'm going to talk about the, the Trump indictment here in just a little bit. But, you know, uh, well, we were told that the, uh, the election in 2020 was the most secure election in the history of the country. We were told that we couldn't question uh, the validity of the election. We were told that we couldn't question the uh, um, integrity of the electoral process because if we did, we're really bad guys. And that if you did that, if you said these things, it was misinformation, it was disinformation, and you needed to be censored. And so they censored the Hunter Biden laptop as Russian disinformation. Well, problem is that, uh, that it wasn't Russian disinformation. It was actually Hunter's laptop, and it was just the tip of the iceberg because stuff started to come out. For example, I like the uh, WhatsApp uh, message where Hunter Biden is bragging about, I'm sitting here with my father, complaining about how some Chinese, from whom he never made any money, um, uh, hadn't come through with their end of the deal. And it says, I will make certain, if they don't come through with the bucks, I'll make certain that between the man sitting next to me, Joe Biden, 
and every person he knows and my ability to forever hold a grudge that if you will regret not following my direction, I am sitting here waiting for the call with my father, okay? Um, but, of course, Hunter Biden never made any money from the Chinese, except that, that he tried to plead guilty this week. And, uh, um, and you know, he had a plea agreement uh, which contained, amongst other things, a recital of all the money he made from the Chinese. I mean, in his attempt to defend his actions, in an attempt to incur this plea deal, the sweetheart deal that would slap him on the wrist, even though he hadn't paid over $2 million in taxes, and even though he bought a gun with a fraudulent uh, 4473 form where he failed to mention that he's a drug addict, um, uh, you know, that, that, uh, uh, that, that, that he revealed all the money that he had made from China. Now, wait a second. I guess his dad just didn't know that because his dad had never had anything to do with his business relationships or his, uh, his business partners. Well, then Tucker Carlson breaks this. This is a letter, January 20th, 2011, to Devin Archer, Rosemont Seneca Partners, from guess who, Joseph R. Biden Jr., written on the vice president's stationery, Vice President, Washington, D.C., January 20, 2021. Dear Devin, I apologize for not getting a chance to talk to you at the luncheon yesterday. I was having trouble getting away from hosting President Hu. Who's who? Who was a dictator of China at the time. He's the head of the Chinese Communist Party. And the president's apologizing to Devin Archer for not ditching his, his uh, uh, handling of the Chinese president so that he can go to lunch with Devin Archer. Goes on, I hope I get a chance to see you again soon with Hunter. I hope you enjoyed the lunch. Thanks for coming. Sincerely, Joseph R. Biden Jr. Then with a P.S., happy you guys are together. Well, Joe Biden never met any of Hunter's business partners, never uh, never knew anything about Hunter's overseas business relationships, uh, but just coincidentally had lunch with Devin Archer and, uh, and Hunter in 2011. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. Um, Devin Archer testified in front of Congress and then was on an extensive interview with Tucker Carlson. This is what he said in sum. He said that beginning in 2008 or 2009, um, he starts going into business. By 2011 or so, he's now in business with Hunter Biden. He gets invited to go meet the president of Poland to help introduce Devin Archer to the board of Burisma, the uh, Ukrainian natural gas giant, for the purposes of bringing Devin Archer and guess what, his business partner, Hunter Biden, into uh, into Burisma. Well, you know, uh, Devin Archer was a venture capital guy, right? He knew nothing about gas. He knew nothing about oil. He knew nothing about nothing in the Burisma. But Burisma knew... And the, I guess the president of Poland knew that uh, Devin Archer's business partner happened to be the son of the vice president of the United States. And as Devin Archer said, you know, the world is so corrupt over there that everybody does everything by bribery and personal relationships. And the whole purpose of government is to steal money and get rich. And so obviously these guys, meaning Burisma, if they can get a hold of and, and make financially happy the son of the president of the United States, then that's just doing business as, your, as usual in the corrupt Eastern European world. But it goes beyond that because Devin Archer said that on 20 or so occasions, 
Joe Biden would call in the business meetings or receive phone calls from Hunter Biden during business meetings where he would talk with Hunter Biden and his business associates, all these corrupt insider deals. Well, you know, here's the thing. There's two ways this can happen. If you're vice president of the United States and your son calls you up from a business meeting and says, hey, dad, I'm having lunch with a bunch of high-powered Eastern European corrupt politicians and businessmen, and I wanted you to just say hi. And even if Joe Biden did nothing more than say hi, and what's the, what's the, what's the bull they're saying, talked about the weather, what would an honest politician do? What would the honest Joe Biden do if that happened the first time? Joe Biden, if he was an honest guy, would, as soon as that meeting was over, call up his son Hunter and say, don't you ever put me in that spot again. Don't you ever make a fool out of me. Don't you ever expose me to the accusation of corruption for having me be on a phone call with your business cronies. That's what an honest Joe Biden would do. But no, (laughs) Joe Biden says, um, I hope I get a chance to see you again real soon with Hunter. Well, you know, uh, these weren't calls that came out to Joe Biden. Devin Archer said these were calls that came in from Joe Biden to Hunter Biden during these meetings. I mean, there's absolutely no question that Joe Biden knew everything his kid was doing, was actively participating in it, and the evidence is just overwhelming now that he was engaging in in bribery, receiving money from overseas business entities, receiving money from the Chinese communists, the people that have uh, vowed the destruction of the United States, the Chinese communists that vow every day to destroy us economically and militarily and socially. And here you've got the president of the United States, while he's vice president of the United States, accepting bribes. What's the uh, what's the, uh, the 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 concept is? Well, what did what did uh, uh, Zolchevsky, the head of Burisma, say? Well, I had to pay five million dollars to one Biden and five million dollars to another Biden. And then you hear the Democrats and the mainstream media say there's absolutely no evidence of any corruption. There's absolutely no evidence that Joe Biden did anything. That Devin Archer's testimony proved that Hunter, that Joe Biden was absolutely clean and had nothing to do with this. Well, there was one part of, of uh, um, Devin Archer's interview with Tucker Carlson that, that was even more impressive to me than that. When he's talking about, when Devin Archer is talking about his relationship with Hunter Biden and Hunter Biden's relationship with his dad, he says that when you're doing things with foreign dignitaries, when you're doing things trying to raise capital or engage in business with foreign businessmen, what you have to do is you have to have contacts. The business of D.C. is selling access to information. And the way D.C. works is what you have is a lobbyist who used to work for an agency who can then, when you need to do, for example, get a visa so that a foreign businessman has, who would otherwise not be allowed to come into the country, how do you get him in country? You got a lobbyist that used to work for the State Department or work for foreign services, and he's now in private business selling access to those entities, and he goes back to the people he used to work with and greases the skids and then comes back and gets paid for greasing the skids by the very people that those entities are supposed to regulate in the first place. In other words, the entire D.C. system, our entire government, is run by a set of circularly corrupt bureaucrats. I work for this agency until I get tired of making, you know, small-dollar corruption. I'm going to go to work for a lobbying firm where I can make big-dollar corruption, 
And what I do when I go to that lobbying firm is I sell access. And so when Devin Archer goes into business with Hunter Biden, it's with full recognition that the only thing that Hunter Biden has to sell, the only talent that he has, the only ability he has to do anything that might make you money is by selling access to the people that he knows in D.C., and the most important of which is dear old dad, Joe Biden. Well, you know, uh, it's a, it's really kind of hard to put this into perspective. I always, you know, people always talk about Watergate, like Watergate was the worst crime in the history of the world. What did Watergate consist of? Watergate consisted of a bunch of, uh, you know, attempted burglaries uh, or burglars breaking into Democratic National Headquarters to do what? To see, steal their super secret information? And then um, allegedly President Nixon participating in a cover-up to keep that from coming to light. Well, Richard Nixon didn't make millions of dollars. Richard Nixon didn't take bribes from foreign dignitaries. Richard Nixon didn't take bribes from foreign adversaries from the, you know, this was during the Vietnam War. Let's, let's, let's put this in perspective. Let's say that what Richard Nixon was accused of doing was taking millions of dollars from, uh, from, you know, uh, uh, the, the North Vietnamese during the middle of the Vietnamese War and selling out the secrets of, of the South Vietnamese Army or anything like that. I mean, that's what Joe Biden was doing. Joe Biden, while he was vice president, was selling out the United States to the communist Chinese for his personal profit, personal profit. And then you look around, you think, well, you know, Joe Biden's been in government for, what, 50 years? Joe Biden now makes, what, $400,000 as president. But up until the time that he left the Senate, he was making $174,000 a year at most. And you know the rules of the Senate preclude you from having any outside income from any source, I think I ran for Senate. I think I remember these numbers correctly. You're allowed to make $30,000 a year on top of your Senate salary. And so you got to ask yourself, you know, what did Al Capone go to Alcatraz for? The government accused Al Capone of doing all kinds of things, of being a mob boss and a murderer and all these kinds of things. The only problem is they had no evidence of it and no one would talk. And so just like in the case of Joe Biden, they had nothing to go on except this little thing called the IRS, where they compared his lifestyle, his houses, his cars, his lifestyle, to the amount of money he was reporting on his income taxes every year, and they put him in Alcatraz for tax evasion and tax fraud. Well, you know, Joe Biden owns a lot of houses, a lot of multimillion-dollar houses. He and Hunter and, his, and Jim and everybody else lives high on the hog, and they don't have any source of income that is legitimate income they don't have a business. They don't have a real estate empire. They don't own hotels and casinos. What they own is the United States government. And that's what they're selling to foreign entities. And ladies and gentlemen, this is the most flagrant abuse of power. I like the statement that I wrote it down today when, when, I, when I was listening to Tucker Carlson's interview. Devin Archer said when he got asked by, by Tucker about Hunter Biden getting his dad on the phone or Hunter Biden's dad calling in. And Devin Archer called it an abuse of soft power, an abuse of soft power. I couldn't think of a better way of stating it, that here you are, you don't have to coerce anybody. You don't have to, although in the Biden's case, uh, Zolchewski said he was uh, coerced and intimidated into, into doing it. 
but you don't really need to. All you have to do is demonstrate the fact that you've got the connections necessary to have the vice president of the United States call into your business meetings and let the whole world know that just like Joe Biden, just like Hunter Biden said, that if you don't do what we tell you, we'll bring down that that uh, righteous indignation, that power of the vice president, now president of the United States, to destroy you if you don't do what we say and to benefit you if you do. And by the way, thank you for your check, Mr. Burisma. Thank you for your check, Mr. Communist Chinese Party. Um, and uh, we'll do whatever you say as long as you keep paying my son and you keep my son keeps giving me my 10% or I get my $5 million from the head of Burisma, Zolchevsky. And by the way, you fire that prosecutor, you fire Mr. Shokin. And by the way, Devin Archer said there's absolutely no question that Joe Biden knew that the uh, inspector general or the prosecutor general of Ukraine was investigating Hunter Biden and Burisma. There's no question that he was fired by uh, at the result of Joe Biden holding up a billion dollars specifically to try and protect Burisma, just exactly like the letter from uh, to Devin Archer from uh, Bozarski I, which said, the scope of work, this is to Devin Archer and Hunter Biden from the head of Burisma, the scope of work should also include organization of a visit of a number of widely recognized and influential current or former U.S. policymakers to Ukraine in November, aiming to conduct meetings with and bring positive signal, signal slash message and support on Nikolay's issue to the Ukraine top officials above with the ultimate purpose to close down any cases slash pursuits against Nikolay in Ukraine. Nikolay is Mr. Zolchevsky, Hunter Biden's boss, the person that he was getting paid by, the person who Joe Biden wanted to protect by saying, you know, I'll give you six hours to fire that prosecutor. You're not going to get that billion dollars of United States taxpayer money. And, you know, son of a bitch, he got fired. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there's somebody that needs to get fired right now, and his name is Joseph R. Biden, Jr. When we come back, we're going to talk about the uh, newest Trump indictment and what kind of nonsense that is, and we'll see you in just a second. Get more Mark McCloskey at NewstalkSTL.com. You're listening to Mark McCloskey on Fire on News Talk STL. Mark McCloskey on Fire. You're listening to Mark McCloskey on Fire on News Talk STL. Well, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is News Talk SDL, Mark McCloskey on fire, 101.9 here in St. Louis. Anywhere you can catch this on the uh, on the web. Um, you know, I've been calling this for, oh, three years now, or a little less than that, two and a half years since January the 20th of uh, 2021. I've been calling what's going on in our federal government coup by subpoena. And you could see it from the very beginning, from essentially the very first day that Joe Biden was sworn in as president, that the Department of Justice and the FBI 
had been used and employed by, by the President of the United States to persecute, prosecute, uh, and attempt to, um, what's the possible way? You know, under old English law, there was this concept of being an outlaw. If you were declared an outlaw, you had no rights, and you could be killed on sight by anybody that caught you. Well, it's almost that bad in the United States under the new Department of Justice. I made a list a long time ago of all the people that were associated with the Trump campaign or the Trump White House that uh, were the subject of this kind of coercive arm of government for no reason other than that they were associated with Donald Trump. And that would include a list in those days, you know, Rudy Giuliani, Paul Manafort, Peter Navarro, Mike Flynn, Mike Lindell, Carter Page, George Papanopoulos, Roger Stone, all these folks, and now Donald Trump himself. And it goes deeper than that. Think about all those poor sons of guns that are still rotting away in the D.C. gulag on the allegation that on January the 6th, 2021, they were what? In the Capitol? On Capitol grounds? Charges of, of, uh, of parading without a license? Trespass? Being on Capitol grounds without permission? Things which, in the normal world, in a, in, a, in a civilized world, in a non-third world nation, a charge of trespass might get you a $50 fine and you walk away, you know, free and clear. These are the world's most minor misdemeanors that these folks, by and large, were charged with. And some of them have sat in jail for years without bail for crimes of no, or no charges at all or minor misdemeanors. But now, because he's way ahead in the polls, because he's... Uh, um, going to be, unless something dramatic happens, the Republican nominee for president, Donald Trump is getting charged every time he turns around. And, of course, this is old news, but it bears repeating that every time they bring a new charge against Donald Trump, it's a day after some new revelation about Biden corruption comes to the fore. But this new, this new uh, indictment of Donald Trump really, really takes the case. It's a 45-page it's a uh, document. Uh, which basically has very little to do with charging the president, but has a great deal to do with influencing public opinion. But, you know, you all remember when Adam Schiff, when they were, were, you hate to use this phrase, trumping up charges against President Trump on the basis of his phone call with uh, President Zelensky of Ukraine, where Adam Schiff pretended to be reading a transcript of the conversation, and he, he says things like, pretending to be Donald Trump. I'm only going to say this seven times, so listen up, talking to Zelensky, when in fact everything Adam Schiff said was a lie. But he pretended to be quoting the president. And of course, if you or I lie to Congress, we go to jail. Adam Schiff can lie every day with no consequences. But here it is. I like this. Paragraph 16 of this indictment against uh, Donald Trump. It says, on December 1, co-conspirator number one met with Arizona House Speaker when the Arizona House Speaker again asked co-conspirator one for evidence of the outcome determinative election fraud, he and the defendant had been claiming co-conspirator number one responded with words to the effect of, that's the phrase, words to the effect of, and then they put it in quotes, quote, we don't have the evidence, comma, but we have lots of theories, unquote. There is nothing more dishonest in the written word than paraphrasing somebody with your words and putting quotation marks around it to make the world believe it is their words. So you take what they say, you twist it to how you want it to come out, 
and then you proclaim it to be the testimony of the person you're trying to persecute. Well, the upshot of the entire 45-page indictment against President Trump is that he knew that he had lost the election. He knew that he was lying when he said he didn't lose the election, that everything he did to contest the election was done after he knew that everything that he was saying was a lie, and therefore his desire for recounts, his lawsuits against different states for doing such things as having judges or governors change the election laws when the Constitution only allows the legislature to do it, all these things he did to challenge the results of the 2020 election were done when he knew that he had lost the election and therefore he was defrauding the United States government. He was stripping the voters of their right to vote. All these, all these very, you know, kind of made up laws, uh, which really don't exist. I mean, the, the bottom line is, is that what Jack Smith charged President Trump with is contesting the election because according to Jack Smith, President Trump knew that those claims of, of election fraud were false. Well, you know, if that, if lying to get votes is now a crime, then think back to what we were talking about in the last segment. Because Joe Biden lied to get votes. Joe Biden lied about not doing business with his son. Joe Biden lied about never having spoken to his son about his business relationships. Joe Biden lied about never having any communication with uh, Hunter's business associates. Joe Biden lied about his son never making any money from the Chinese. Joe Biden lied about never making any money from Ukrainian oligarchs. And, of course, uh, he's not going to go to jail. No one's going to charge Joe Biden. What do you, what do you, you think uh, You think Merrick Garland is going to ask the FBI to go and arrest Joe Biden for lying to the American people? Well, of course not, because it only goes one direction. Stacey Abrams, for example, in Georgia, she claims to this day that she got elected governor of Georgia, right? Hillary Clinton, to this day, claims that she got elected president of the United States. Al Gore, remember that? The uh, hanging Chad case? Al Gore, to this day, claims that he got elected president of the United States. Um, the guy who ran the uh, January 6th committee, his name is Benny Thompson. He challenged the electors in the, 2020, in the 2016 election and, uh, and the uh, 2000 election. Okay, so these people are all just a bunch of stinking hypocrites. But they're not, they're not stupid. They're not, uh, they're not uh, you know, going off half-cocked. Half this is all a design to undermine our republic and to change the rules. You know, right after he became president, Joe Biden announced what he called the Disinformation Governance Board. And you'll remember they had this lunatic uh, girl who sang Mary Poppins, um, who was such an embarrassment they had to cancel her immediately and dissolve what they called the Disinformation Governance Board. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the Disinformation Governance Board is worse now than it ever was. What the Disinformation Governance Board is now is the FBI and the Department of Justice. According to people like Jack Smith, um, the government declares what is true. The government declares what you have the right to believe in and declares illegal believing anything else. And so now, if you're in politics, if you're running for office, you've got a right and a duty to recite 
what you're told by the government is the truth, and you've got criminal responsibilities if you refuse to accept the truth according to the government. And that is the end of anything that resembles our republic. That is the end of anything that resembles freedom. If you can be charged criminally with felonies that would cost you 20 years in prison for saying what you believe to be true, when the government has declared what you say to be true to be false, then there is no pretense of freedom anymore. Think about think about the disasters that befell this country under the COVID lockdowns. Think about all the people that were damaged and killed by by Anthony Fauci when he was telling us lies, which he now admits are lies. Think of the people who were canceled. Think of the people that have been sued. Think of the people like my, my buddy Eric Naputi here in St. Louis who are criminally charged for challenging what the government has declared to be true, even though we all now acknowledge that the government was lying to us. But that doesn't make any difference. This government can lie to you left and right. This government can imprison you. This government can take your business away. This government can threaten you based on lies. But they declare the truth. And if you challenge those truths, then you are a criminal. And when you criminalize political opinion, when you criminalize political activity, when you criminalize the right to contest elections when you believe in your heart of hearts that you have been cheated, then there is no such thing as a democratic republic. There is no such thing as freedom. What you have is a right to believe what you're told to believe under the threat of the government coming down on you like a ton of bricks. Well, what do you do? Where do you go from here? Why are the January 6th defendants being persecuted constantly? In fact, the uh, campaign manager of a guy that ran for Congress here in the last election cycle got arrested this week by the FBI, 6 o'clock in the morning, charged with felonies. Why? Because what does the government want to do? The powers that be want to create a single-world socialist government, a world where you all have to obey. We all have to take whatever you're given and like it. And so if you're willing to stand up for what you believe in, willing to stand up and tell the truth, willing to stand up and defend our freedom, the government will crush you. The government will put you in a gulag. The government will deny you your medication, keep you in solitary, do everything they can to destroy you. And if you've got the guts to stand up, they will make sure that the cost of your defense is so extreme that you'll be bankrupt and totally destroyed. And that's a warning that the government is giving to all of us. Do as you're told or we will destroy you. And that doesn't sound very much like a free republic to me. Ladies and gentlemen, if we're going to save this country, each and every one of us needs to stand up for our freedom. Tell the government, tell everybody we will not be sheep. We'll be a free people. And we're going to pull back that consent of the government until we win this country back. And the best and only way of doing it is to reelect Donald J. Trump as president of the United States. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. We'll talk next Sunday afternoon. Get more Mark McCloskey at NewstalkSTL.com. This is Mark McCloskey on Fire on News Talk STL.